What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of City Image. Back in the building, I am Bryant the Theological Giant. And to the left of me, I have... Sexy. Daniel, the creator. (laughs) Gorgeous as usual. Oh, man. He's got like a top samurai. Yeah, the samurai joint he got going on. Samurai bun. Just as the Lord made me. (laughs) (laughs) Walking in the beauty of the Lord. Here we go. (laughs) And to my right. You already know. Young Flatbush in the building. Casa. Pastor Rich, y'all. Young Flatbush in the building. Guys, it's great to see you. Again, as we get ready to dive into the City Image podcast, uh, we have a lot to talk about, man. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about Kendrick Lamar's album, what we liked about it, um, and some troubling aspects of it that I think we have to dive into as well. Uh, but first, man, we just wanted to just um, talk about a current uh, event that's taking place right now in our first segment, this issue with the Cleveland shooter uh, who broadcasted a video um, on Facebook Live about uh, him killing an innocent man, 78-year-old man. So horrific. And actually, earlier on this month, uh, a 15-year-old girl was gang-raped on Facebook Live. And so we saw a, a question on the internet asking, you know, is it time to shut down Facebook Live? Because obviously it can be used by people who want to broadcast violence, want to broadcast all types of debauchery and there's really technically no license no way to regulate um what someone broadcasts as they as soon as they hit that broadcast button they're broadcasting to the world technically and so we wanted to just discuss that a little bit uh gentlemen what are your thoughts on that Mm, man that's a really tough topic man and you know just you know, being somebody who's been in the technology field for a long time, right. the idea of censorship is one that is, you know, has always been a hot topic. Yeah. Um, and I think the knee-jerk reaction is definitely like, man, this is crazy. You know, Facebook Live gives somebody an instant audience. You know, there's yeah. no delay between capturing and people seeing it. You know, it's a live stream. And so yeah. there's definitely some danger in that Facebook doesn't really have a way to filter that right yeah and so i definitely um i definitely i definitely think that you know ultimately yes ultimately the problem is our hearts right our hearts are sinful and we'll use whatever means to you know showcase our sin right but i do think that we have to be careful um not to just jump on the censor train and just say hey facebook live is the problem and things like that Mm -hmm. um I am actually, though, leaning on um, some kind of delay. You know, even live television has a delay Mm -hmm. and they have a delay for these kinds of reasons. You never know what can happen on live TV. So they're set to a couple seconds delay so that if something does go down, that they could shut it down. And so I do think I would advocate for some kind of a delay process where, um, you know, some kind of filtration Thing could be going on you know where it doesn't broadcast immediately 
Um, but I don't think it has, you know, we don't got to throw the baby and the bathwater. I do think we can make some changes. Um, but it is a, it is a tool and it does give someone who wants to do something malicious, you know, an audience, um, to kind of see the act go down, but I wouldn't get rid of it completely. I would definitely though, put some kind of delay on it. Maybe like five, you know, like, uh, probably about a 30 second delay on, the stream coming in versus it going up on Facebook so they can run through some kind of, uh, you know, algorithm to see yeah. like if there's anything offensive in it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I know nothing about technology. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming that they can even create an algorithm mm. that can sense what's being viewed. You know, I mean, it's, I think it's easier, I guess, to sense a keyword or something mm. like, I'm about to kill someone, so obviously, like, okay, hey, we're not going to broadcast this. I think that algorithm could probably pick that up, right? But can an algorithm pick up essentially something being viewed? Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah, and I think I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I put nothing past technology. Right. right? That's I, yeah. that's facts. <laughs> can you program morality? <laughs> right. But I do think that we do know that they could do something with the audio, right? Like, if there are certain words said that it flags. And yeah. so it goes to somewhere and someone can kind of be like, okay, they, you know, this kind of, um, someone's like, Hey, I'm going to kill you. That string of sentences might flag a video for review. Yeah. Um, in that moment. And I think it's something, yeah. um, honestly, I think something is better than nothing because if you know that there is a possibility for your video not to reach the audience, that might be enough for somebody not to try. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I do think having that instant audience is very appealing to somebody who wants to do something terrible, and kind of broadcast it to the world. And we just have to make sure that we're just stewarding that power, yeah, um, in the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think technology is an amazing tool um, to use to spread the gospel, um, and that, uh, you know. Facebook Live is just another instance of that. Like, for instance, this weekend was Easter. I saw uh, Mark Driscoll's church. I think it was like Trinity Church um, live streaming their service. Right. Mm. And like someone who's well known like that or whatever, like the audience that Facebook Live brings is just huge and amazing. Yeah. Um, And I think so. I think as bad as it is um, used in in certain instances, I think the, the vast majority of those instances are, are actually good. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, like the issue is the heart. And so if you start to kind of, you know, crack down on, on certain things, which are obviously evil, does that open the door for cracking down on other things that are yeah. not evil, but like just against the ideals of like Facebook, you know what I'm saying? Such as Christian churches or Christian church mm-hmm. services. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, one thing is going to be very important is, community accountability so i think in my personal opinion if someone sees something on facebook live they should be able to flag it and if Mm -hmm. it gets flagged it should be shut down immediately Mm -hmm. like i see the the only issue is like okay well then that kind of gives anybody the power to shut down whatever you put but you do i I think we have to take because i think sometimes when things get flagged it takes a while for it to be reviewed was it really offensive was it not but I think if we empower the community to to like see something and immediately react to it, such that it gets warned, like like a warning goes out, like it can 
possibly avoid some very drastic things, keep from some very drastic things from being mm. kind of pushed out there and publicized. Yeah, um, I agree that I think the conversation that we're having here, Facebook needs to be having that conversation. Like, right. Like, I, I sort of something needs to do. get done because yeah. it, it's certainly not good business for the, their name to be attached to all these terrible things. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's good, guys. So um, that's our first segment. We just wanted to talk about that for a sec. But stay tuned as we enter into segment two. We are going to be engaging with Kendrick's new album called Damn. Damn. All right, guys. Stay tuned. City image is the best. All right, guys. Welcome back to City Image. We are the best. Um, So... In case you, I heard someone say that. Yeah. Um, In case you were living under a rock past week, Kendrick Lamar dropped a new album Mm. called "Damn," and I think it's very important if we're going to be people who engage culture, we have to um, pay attention to culture shapers, right? And those who create art, especially influential art, are culture culture shapers. And whether or not we recognize it, rappers are prophets. They are people who have a voice. They can, in the three minutes, drop a profound sermon that totally shapes the way people think, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. in the case of Kendrick Lamar, people actually look to him as somebody who is conscious, someone who is knowledgeable, right? Someone with deep thoughts. So it's not as if they're going to listen to Migos and Kendrick Lamar the same way, right? They're going to listen to Migos to turn up. They're going to listen to Kendrick to probably get some food for thought. So so true. So for in, so individuals like that, we have to pay attention to. So we wanted to engage with that album uh, and to talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. And so first off, the Batman, I just want to say as a whole, I really liked the album in terms of artistry, uh, in terms of what I think all of his albums has come out so far. I think this is approaching better than Good Kid, Mad City. For me, Good Kid, Mad City, for me, is still my favorite Kendrick album. But the more I listen to this, the more I'm beginning to think, I really like this album. It's so layered with so many different things that, uh, I, 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 like, for me, it captures me emotionally. And we're going to talk about, we're going to take out specific quotes and kind of talk through those quotes so I'm going to talk about why I really felt impacted by a lot of that stuff, but I felt this album really grabbed me more uh, than any of the stuff he's put out before. Yeah, uh, for me, I would definitely, if I had to rate the album, it would definitely be an 8 or a 9 out of 10 um, in terms of how good of a work it is. Like, it's it's quality stuff, man. Like, his ability, his, first of all, his pen game is just no, incredible. Crazy. Like, if you're just somebody who appreciates just a wordsmith or somebody who can we interweave rhyme schemes like it doesn't get much better than kendrick um as far as it being like a personal favorite of mine uh probably not um it's hard for i think it's getting harder for me to appreciate quote unquote conscious hip-hop um because in its consciousness it exposes unconsciousness for me in terms of like man like you want to talk about 
these really deep concepts and for me like it just it falls flat just because it's just from a uh, a worldview that isn't full of truth and so it's a lot more comfortable for me to know listen like use migos as an example like it's actually a little bit more comfortable for me to enjoy a migos song because i know what i'm getting like he's right. not they're not going to be trying to talk about anything deep and so like if a if an artist who's not coming from a christian worldview wants to go deep right it's really hard for me to appreciate it because it's just like man you want to talk like for example you want to talk about your dna well talking about royalty is nothing compared to jesus christ the king right and so it's just it falls flat for me because i'm just not i'm like man it could go deeper or like man like being woke is just not enough right and so yeah it's just a little bit difficult for me to appreciate um depth that i i feel like goes in the wrong direction but as far as a piece of art incredible incredible um, kudos to him and his team just for coming out with something that's just it's just an artistic masterpiece yeah yeah i think it's it's clear that you know as as brian said with with layers um it's just clear that he's you know just good at what he does <laughs> yeah you know um whether it be the word his wording or just as um you know the music itself and and everything it just it's just one cohesive you know piece you know what i'm saying um, the, each song is a cohesive piece of art, you know. Some, sometimes you look at people, you know, rappers and songs, and there's like a good element about them, yeah. right? Um, I think here it's kind of like each little element, you know what I'm saying? Like this is a rap connoisseur's rapper. Yeah, and I thought also too, I, had men, I made a joke about this on one of my Facebook statuses. I like the fact that Kendrick takes creative risks and it always improves the song, in my opinion, because one thing that got me frustrated on Kanye's last album is that he took a lot of creative risks that <laughs> frustrated me like and decreased the song. Like I think Kendrick finds right. a way to when he whenever he has beat changes or whatever, it goes to the next level. It's like a clear evolution. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just love I think it's a beautiful thing when someone can take a risk creatively and it actually not cause the thing to flop, it, it gets better. So I, I like the, the way he puts things together. Um, he's very sort of maestro-like in that way. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's good. Yeah, so guys, we definitely want to look at some specific quotes of the album, things that really jumped out to us, uh, spoke to us. Uh, and so the first quote that I wanted to look at comes from the song DNA, right? And on the song, he says, I got loyalty, got royalty inside my DNA. And so clearly that song, the entire song, but that line, I think really captures the essence of what the song is about. Mm -hmm. Kendrick is celebrating his blackness. We see that as a theme throughout this album, throughout previous albums of his, even in other, uh, music that's come out that's very uh, geared towards the black community. I think of Solange's album that was also a very good album uh, and it was very all, all about the celebration of blackness. And so a very important stream of thought in the black community is the desire for blacks to fully accept and love their blackness. And so I wanted to just kind of talk about that. 
and, and of course, I think we agree that that can get expressed in good ways and expressed in bad ways. But there is a sense in which, like, I think this uh, a particular movement has been developed called the a Black Consciousness Movement. And so I have a quote here from someone who kind of describes what uh, black consciousness is. It's from Steve uh, Baiko, who was a South African activist uh, during apartheid, and he fought against it. And how he describes it is this. Black consciousness is, in essence, the realization by the black man of the need to rally together with his brothers around the cause of their oppression the blackness of their skin and to operate as a group in order to rid themselves of the shackles that bind them to perpetual servitude. It seeks to demonstrate the lie that black is an aberration from the normal, which is white. It is a manifestation of a new realization that by seeking to run away from themselves and to emulate the white man, blacks are insulting the intelligence of whoever created them black. Black consciousness, therefore, takes cognizance of the deliberateness of God's plan in creating black people black. It seeks to infuse the black community with a newfound pride in themselves, their efforts, their value systems, their culture, their religion, and their outlook to life. And so that's essentially what black consciousness is. And we see that stream of thought in modern meaning. I think we see that in Kendrick Lamar's album. So I, I wanted to kind of respond to this a little bit. As Christians, how do you, how, what do you think we should uh, say in response to this movement? Any thoughts, fellas? Yeah, yeah, man. And um, I totally resonate with this. I mean, just as a yeah. black person, um, there is an element, man, of just... <clears throat> I have to learn how to celebrate who I am. Right. Because there is a sense of just white supremacy that is just outright in my city where yeah. I live. Like it oppresses me every day, every hour, every second, right? Yeah. Not only does it oppress me, but it has brainwashed me mm -hmm. into getting Facts. me to a, a pattern of self hatred and low self worth. Yeah. Right. And to be honest bro like i'm only now realizing the depth to which white supremacy and white privilege has gotten me to hate myself mm. and so um when i hear kendrick say that a part of me goes yes yeah. right a part of me is just like yes i have to find a place where i'm celebrating yeah what I am what made me like what I, yeah. what do I consist of what my ancestors were things like that especially because especially as someone in America right you know it's essentially a land that was populated with black, with black people who were kidnapped yeah right and so it's like we, we don't even know where we come from right mm -hmm. we can't really trace it you know as far back as we'd like to and so man there is a liberation you know, in hearing him say that on the flip side, though, we can get into a place where it becomes a place of worship. Yeah. And we can start to say almost worship our blackness, worship that that is the core of our identity. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we can start to say, you know what? Black is awesome. Actually, it's even more awesome than white. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and we in turn 
you know, as the oppressed want to become the oppressors. You yeah. know, we, we're not really looking for equality. We're looking for vengeance. And that's where it becomes very dangerous, where it's just yeah. like, I am a king, I'm a queen, and you, you are my subjects. Yeah. You know, the same way that you tried to, you know, make us your subjects and, and, and oppress us and do these atrocities against us really i'm i'm royalty and i should be ruling yeah and so i think um on the one hand it's beautiful and it should be celebrated we should understand our worth and our value and where we come from but at the same time we can't use it as a pedestal to step over others that's good that's good mm. yeah i mean i i think i i agree with you totally rich there's a sense in which, and I've seen this all the time, I think what comes to me very clearly is the study of theology, where you see a position that's so awful that you react in such a way that you overreact into something that's equally awful. That's right. That's <laughs> it's right. just it's like as bad. Yeah. And so I think yeah, what I've seen, colonies. yeah, so I think what I've seen... I, my black brothers, some of my black brothers and sisters do is because we were treated horrifically and still to a large extent do yes. get mistreated. Um, and we're constantly bombarded with images that are derogatory and images that, you know, uh, make us feel low and whiteness is beautiful and all the ways that white supremacy affects us. The temptation, therefore, is to react in such a way where we make our race ultimate. Right. And anything that's other than us is looked at as simply inferior right. because we we we've been beaten down for so long, century after century, being told we're nothing, and so we want to rise up. And I think the danger is we be, we create something that is equally as sinful, you know. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it, it's kind of like a pendulum, you know what I'm saying? How it just swings from one one side to the next side. Um, you know, me as a, as a Spanish male, right. Um, I definitely can see and recognize, you know, the black plight of seeking for an identity, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And kind of having this, um, sense, this identity that's trying to be pushed upon them. And, and, you know, you kind of see throughout the decades how, um, uh, the black community has tried to, you know, define themselves. I think it's a pendulum swinging where it's good to um, kind of get back to, um, f- you know, finding your identity, you know what I'm yeah. saying, as a, as a people. Um, and it can swing cl- um, very easily to the other side of um, kind of putting your identity in your identity, hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and putting who you are in a sense of value and worth in something that you find to be authentically um, black or authentically your people. Um, and making that ultimate. Yeah, I think that's good. Another issue I have with the black consciousness movement is a lot of times people try to appear as really deep, but it's a tremendous amount of pseudo-knowledge that gets passed Mm -hmm. as real, authentic knowledge. And so it's almost as if, like for instance, I give you an example, like in the um, Nation Nation of Islam, the way that they think white people came about is some some mad scientists created white people, and you know, sort of like white people are like like white devils, and, and even in Hebrew Israelite thing, um, what what do they say about white people? Like white people can't be 
like saved. There's yeah. so many. Yeah, some some groups say that you know they just can't be saved and they're to be so, so slaves. Right. Yeah, I mean, so it's almost they're, like they're from uh, Edom. You know, yeah, and so even the, even the way like how Black Israelites um, kind of define their sense, and we're going to talk about this later and introduce this, but this idea that they are the true descendants of Israel, and like that's just historically like. Horribly, like inaccurate, can't be proven in any way, shape, or form. But because it's seen as a way to uplift Black people, it's believed. And so my point is that it seems as if a whole bunch of zany beliefs can get passed off as true knowledge simply if it accomplishes the end goal of uplifting Black people. Let me just add something to that, man. So growing up in, you know, in Brooklyn, Flatbush, where the Hebrew Israelites. Um, have have had a heavy presence man i remember just as a kid just like laughing at them and just like man who are these guys dressed up like ninjas and just like <laughs> not understanding but right. man like it what a horrible misstep it would be to just laugh and jest and just like man like these guys they don't know what they're talking about what i've come to understand now is that we must give them um we must research we must understand the power that they're wielding and that power is that they give value to the valueless right they give worth to the worthless like they're like what they're saying even though it's wrong the fact that it makes black people feel like man it gives us some self-worth and it gives us some value that's what makes it so attractive yeah and the crazy thing is that that shows me right away how deep the wounds are from slavery. Yeah. Like, man, like the whole just black ego, just how we think about ourselves, our need uh, for for worth and value. Like, it, it is such a deep need that we will believe something so incredibly untrue just yeah. to get it. Yeah. Right? And so it's very dangerous to have somebody celebrate a movement that's untrue but will also make somebody feel like man for the first time ever i like myself yeah and that's and that's man i think you hit it right the nail right on the head man and so i think what to sum up this um this section i think we wanted to say like the black consciousness movement or the celebration of blackness is essentially a good thing mm-hmm. like i think all races should celebrate their their cre- the way that they were created. That's right. I think there's a way to celebrate whiteness in a way that doesn't include white supremacy, right. right? In the way that you are derogatory to other races. Yes. So all cultures should celebrate the way that God made them. But the issue is, um, people tend to make their race ultimate, and the ones who have power tend to oppress other races. Yeah. And that's where the sin comes in. Come on. So, so that was DNA. Um, I. Another song on there uh, was called Triple X, XXX, and I really liked this one. This kind of jumped out to me um, because of I think he really kind of brings together the contradiction of w- wanting to do the right thing but doing something different, right? And I, I just want to read the lyrics uh, real quick to this. And so the song, he says, Yesterday I got a call like from my dog, uh, 101, 
So that's like the Dalmatian, one-on-one Dalmatians, right? I'm not going to be able to explain every, every bar, but essentially he said, he says, said they killed his only son because of insufficient funds. He was sobbing, he was mobbing, way belligerent and drunk, talking out his head, philosophizing on what the Lord had done. He said, K-Dot, can you pray for me? It's been a blanked up day for me. I know that you anointed, show me how to overcome he was looking for some closure, hoping I could bring him closer to the spiritual. My spirit do no better. But I told him, I can't sugarcoat the answer for you. This is how I feel. If somebody killed my son, that means somebody getting killed, right? And so later on, he goes down the verse. He says, let somebody touch my mama, touch my sister, touch my woman, touch my daddy, touch my niece, touch my nephew, touch my brother. You should chip a blank, then throw the blower in his lap. In other, in other words, you should shoot him and... and with a gun on them. Matter of fact, I'm about to speak at this convention, call you back. All right, kids, we're going to talk about gun control, right? <laughs> and so essentially, he's, what, what really stood out to me about this is that here is Kendrick Lamar, somebody seeing Kendrick Lamar as a spiritual person, deep conscious person, calls him up, looking for advice, right? The, this person's hysterical, their son just got killed, and so Kendrick Lamar has an opportunity to, in some sense, kind of minister to the person. And they're like, yo, what, sh- what should I do about this? How should I approach this situation? And Kendrick's like, yo, I'm just be real with you, man. Like, yo, they killed your son. If that happened to me, I was going to kill them too. Um, so they, you should go. You should, you should do whatever you got to do. Uh, but hold on. So I got to give this talk at this convention real quick. I- I'll talk to you later. And then he, he goes and says, oh, all right, kids, we're going to talk about gun control. So he's like essentially a, a immediate contradiction. He's on the one hand telling his friend, "Yeah, go handle your business, go shoot him up, do what you got to do," and then on the uh, and on the flip side, he's like, "Okay, kids, let's talk about gun control." So now he's gonna advocate for you know peace and the the uh, abolishment of violence. And so what really stood out to me is one, I think about being a minister and the fact that. Sometimes I minister out of hypocrisy. I'm just going to keep it real. Talk the truth. Talk <laughs> that truth. Keep it 100. Like, there are times when people, people come to me, they want advice. And honestly, in some respects, Kendrick is more honest than me because he actually told them how he felt. There's sometimes I feel a different way or I know I haven't been living the right way. And I tell them the quote unquote right thing to do. Right. And so it really impacted me that, you know, this, this, that Kendrick actually told him the, how he really felt, right? And I, I, it convicted me because sometimes I feel like I'm not even 100% honest with it because sometimes I'm living contradictory to the good advice that I want to give. And so then Kendrick exposes his own hypocrisy in the sense that he now is about to give a speech on gun violence, I'm sorry, in, in, uh, on, on like keeping the peace and avoiding gun violence after he just told his homie to go murk the, the dude that killed his son. And so that hypocrisy, he, I think Kendrick brings together beautifully the fact that the human being is this huge struggle of, I think even for the Christian Romans 7, like, I don't do the thing I know I'm supposed to do. Um, and the, the sin that I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. This sense of this tension of knowing what's right and being unable to sometimes carry it out. So any thoughts on that, fellas? Yeah, um, I think I think you hit the hypocrisy on the nose there, man. It definitely... Um, I definitely saw a lot of myself in there. I was like, man, when I'm on the phone with somebody and I'm telling them advice, yeah. I'm like, dang, 
that's, that's that's a check for me. Like, <laughs> am, I, am I am I doing to my friend right now? Yo. One of the things in the song that really hit me as well is just that there's this idea in our culture where it's money over everything, mm. and because that conference that he was doing is contributing to his income, he wow. must maintain this false idea is that that's what he actually believes but real talk when he's off the stage he's a different guy and so it perpetuates this idea that yo you need to say what you need to say to keep that money coming in but when it comes to who you really are yeah you could be whoever you want to be and it was very meta for me because that's how I see rappers. Rappers will say whatever they have to say on the microphone in order to generate a persona that brings in an income. But in actuality, they are probably not living that life. And so um, I think even Kendrick in that moment is saying like, man, like I cannot put my money in jeopardy, even though this is how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. So the last song we wanted to look at was fear. And I think this is the this is the track that we're going to spend the most amount of time on, because this track to me is where there's so much good and so much bad on the <laughs> on the exact same track. Uh, so essentially, just to give you an explanation of this track, uh, Kendrick is being honest about his fears. He's being honest about life as a seven year old life as a 17-year-old, and then life as a 27-year-old. And in each section of his life, he's kind of uh, expressing the things that made him the most fearful. And then he, in his own wisdom, he tries to provide a solution to that fear. And, well, spoiler alert, the solution is to become a black Hebrew Israelite. Right. And so we wanted to kind of look at the song and, and dissect it because I think there's some good, important things to take away from the song. Things I've never actually even heard a rapper expose and rap about that's to be commended. But unfortunately, the the resolve, the 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 sort of um, expl- explanation as to how to overcome all these fears and doubts that's going on in the world is totally ungodly. And as Christians, we have to reject it and respond to it. So let me just read you a couple of the lyrics. Um, he, he starts out as a seven-year-old. And so this is from the, posi- the, the point of view, of, I guess, his mother saying, listen, I'll beat your butt. Keep talking back. I'll beat your butt. Who bought you that? You stole it. I'll beat your butt if you say that game is broken. I'll beat your butt if you jump on my couch. I'll beat your butt if you walk in the house with tears in your eyes, running from poo-poo and prentice. Go back outside. I'll beat your butt, little N-word. That homework better be finished. I'll beat your butt. Your teachers better not be blanking about you in class. And I'm, that's not, I'm not even going to read the whole verse. He just goes on and on and on about these seemingly small issues that is getting this huge reaction from his mother such way that you know a, a violent re- reaction to essentially a, a child being a child right yeah so true and what was so amazing to me i've never heard a rapper sort of articulate that in such a way and put the spotlight on kids who are in situations in where it's it's way past the discipline phase and it's clearly abuse it's clearly the parent taking out the stresses on their of, of their life on the kid. That's it. 
That's it, man. And I think um, as a black child, especially one from a West Indian household, Come on. man, I caught I caught some butt whoopings. OK. Yeah. And uh, many of them were for very small things I would consider to be small at this point. And I think even in the culture, there's this idea of just like, man, if your child as a parent, I definitely feel this from like older people. It's just like, yo, if you're kid does nothing but do what you say when you say it and outside of that they sit still and don't move you are a great parent yeah not if they're communicating with you not if they like you not if they trust you none of that is important it's really just man how are you commanding obedience yeah you know how are you kind of like creating like a demigod kind of mentality over your child and um yeah, we just don't address the the level of abuse that that, you know, turns into. I've seen a lot of parents take out a lot of stress yeah. on, on their kids, man. And and guess what? All it does is just create a very creative child. Yeah. Right. And so a child that learns how to get away with things because they're just so, so afraid. And so it's just like, man, I've just got to get better at hiding and keeping mm. things from my parents because I don't trust them. And the only thing that they have for me is is a uh, the backhand <laughs> yeah you know yeah and you know it just kind of adds to the, the the title of the song right fear um you know as a, as a spanish dude you know you got my mom's slipper flying across the room at all Woo! any moment you know <laughs> yeah so whoever's closest you know what i'm saying and so um yeah I mean, i'm not a parent but i can easily easily understand how just out of frustration you know, a parent could discipline a child. And so, um, you know, definitely thankful that God doesn't discipline us that way, but yes, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think the context of the song is really trying to emphasize what life is in the hood. Right. And so imagine, I mean, it's one thing to be from West Indian households, you know, and our parents went in on us. Right. But imagine if you're in a situation where you're in a broke ghetto, your parents can't pay bills, all kinds of life stresses, right? And your parents are like, everybody else is beating up on me, but I know I can beat up on my kid and get away with it. That's right. And so the kid literally gets the full wrath and expression of their parents going through hell on earth. And what happens to these kids as they grow up? They're they're psychologically traumatized, and what should have been discipline done with restraint has created like children who are just you know they 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 handle things violently because they experience violence from their parents and they've got all these psychological issues daddy issues and when somebody shares a gospel with them and says you have a loving father and they're like a loving father my father beat the crap out of me you know and so that creates issues for us as we're trying to come share the gospel for people with Mm -hmm. people so I, my my prayer is that when people hear this, man, like if, if if they are that parent, you know, or they know that parent that's going in on their kid, it's like, listen, man, do you hear yourself threatening the kid with violence at, at literally anything he does? That's an issue. Yeah. So going on to the next verse, he starts talking about life as a 17-year-old. Right, and so he goes. He starts saying, "I'll probably die anonymous." So this is, this whole thing is about him fearing death. He's like, "I'll probably die anonymous. I'll probably die with promises. I'll probably die walking back home from the candy house. I'll probably die from one of these bats and blue badges 
body slammed on black and white paint, my bones snapping, talking about the police. Or maybe die from panic or die from being too lax or die from waiting on it, die because I'm moving too fast. I'll probably die trying to buy weed at the apartments. I'll probably die trying to defuse two homies arguing. I'll probably die because that's what you do when you're 17. All worries in a hurry. I wish I controlled things. Mm. And uh, let me tell you something. I resonated with this so much. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I've just sat and thought about the ways I can die. I mean, literally coming home in my car like, yo, what if a car just smashes into me right now and I die? Like, little things like that. Sometimes thoughts just come into your mind and fill you with all the ways you can perish, all the ways that you can lose your life. And literally, I'm reminded of a, a song that Corey Red Precise did back in the day called Six, Mi- Six Million Ways to Die. You're the only one to You're burn. only one to burn. <laughs> and yeah. literally, I don't even think the number six million is an exaggeration. There probably literally are six million ways to die. And so there's this constant threat of death. And what really makes it personal for me, it's interesting he said the number 17, because that's exactly when I started having panic attacks in my life. Wow. I remember age 17 in my school. I went to a school in a rougher neighborhood. I saw a whole bunch of violent things take place. And I was afraid like I'd get jumped and beaten up. I was a fearful kid growing up. And then, of course, like if anyone knows my testimony, some things transpired to where I started having chronic anxiety attacks. And one of the major things for me, as I look back on it, I did not feel like I had control of the world. I couldn't control things. The world seemed random and chaotic and that was grounds to fear right and so obviously when i became a christian i realized i don't have to control things god controls things and i trust in him but for someone who does not have that worldview how can you not be overtaken by the fear of death and the fear of all these things that come into your life right so yeah uh, i can totally resonate with that you know, I was suffering with chronic anxiety disorder myself um, and having an extreme fear of death. Like, mm. even hearing you talk about it, it, it like, does something to me, man. Mm. Like, and so that song definitely um, was hard to hear. But at the same time, like, I relate. It's just like, man, yeah, like, so it is so we have such a fragile existence. Yes. And really just letting go yes. and just understanding, like, man, like, life is a vapor. But that's not meant to put fear in us. Yes. Um, and so really just understanding like, man, that I have Jesus and that, Hey, when it's my time to go, it's my time to go. That's and it's, true. it's like not my time to go. Like it's time to leave the amusement park. It's like, nah, it's time to go to enter the amusement yeah, park. Yeah. You know, like this is, it's suffering ends, you know, all the terrible things about the world ends, yeah. um, pain ends. And so. And resurrection life comes. That's right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm reminded of the text, 1 Corinthians 15, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is the victory? Like, the gospel is such that death has been defeated. Correct. And this is what Christians have to rest in, yeah. that the separation of soul from body in this life is not going to be a permanent situation. Now, right. you're going to get a brand new spanking body that's, mm-hmm. Paul compares a tent to a building compared yeah. to what you're going to get, but you will be raised to life again, and that's our great hope. And honestly, if I did not have that hope, I'd still be very fearful. Yes, I'd be having a panic attack right now. <laughs> Facts. I'd have listened to this track, and I had a panic attack. Oh, yeah. Like, Kendrick, why did you remind me of the fact that I could die from all these things, right? Yeah, that's so crazy. Just even just thinking about as a Christian, 
the levels of even sanctification you go through to believe that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, there are things that you know, even in my life this year that I've struggled to believe God for that are not even as big as death. Mm. And so it's like, okay, you know, I've gone through what I've gone through. You know, God is sovereign. He's in control. I trust him here now. All right, but what about the next thing? Mm. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And so it's like, um, it's almost like, man, God gives grace in the moment. You know what I'm saying? To really, um, where you're at, he meets you and uh, reminds you who he is and that, you know, he is worthy to be trusted. Um, and, um, ultimately he's in control. He's sovereign. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so he ends, I'm not going to read any lyrics, but the third verse, he talks about him as a grown man after he's accumulated fame. And so he's still going through fears, fears that he, he loses money, fears that he loses creativity. And so this is, I think for me, the most vulnerable I've seen Kendrick Lamar. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe there are, maybe you guys can point out a song that's probably better than that, but Mm -hmm. It, it's he's being extremely vulnerable with his weaknesses, his fears, and it resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Um, the only issue, though, is that he does try to provide a remedy, and the remedy mm-hmm. is faulty. So while we just acknowledge that the gospel, the resurrection gospel, is the hope for our fears, yes. Kendrick tries to give us a different remedy and that is to essentially be a Hebrew Israelite. So before I go into this, because he has, um, he has his friend, his cousin Carl, call him, leave him a voice message trying to encourage him. And before I go into this, I just want to say, like, okay, guys, can we stop calling Kendrick a Christian? Like, can we, can we stop now? Like, I just want to say, because I was at a conference. I was at a Christian conference just last week, and one of the speakers called Kendrick Lamar a Christian. And I'm like, guys, we got to do better than just hearing spiritual references and Bible quotes in songs Mm -hmm. and calling people Christians. Like, because every world religion can quote the Bible to you if they felt like it. Even Muslims will use it to their advantage if they get the opportunity. So we've got to be able to say, can we substantiate a person's worldview before we give them the title Christian because I remember a lot of articles being written trying to say he's a great, he's a Christian rapper and this sort of thing. People were commenting on that. And now I think very clearly in this album, he comes out as at the very least sympathetic to the Hebrew Israelite religion. And I think he just straight up claims it I'm on the song. Yeah, he says, I'm an Israelite. Don't call me black anymore. Right. So I think we got to put that to rest. And that's just a, a quick aside before we get into this this um, last piece on that song. But I think it's very important that we hold people to high standards before we give them that Christian mantra. That's good, man. I, I definitely, I definitely think back to just some messages and articles, blogs that I've seen from people. On, and I'm just like, man, that. You know, it's funny. Anytime people say this and, you know, we I, I thought about this when, you know, even when we did our episode about chance and just like, yeah. yo, can we all just take a trip down memory lane and remember mm. Mace, mm. Mace and Betha, y'all. Max. All right. We, this was this is our first foray into this. Like, yeah, he's a yeah. Christian. Look, he's a pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look how that turned out. Y'all. <laughs> can we, can we just need to have a longer runway yes. before we just stamp. Yo, Christian on these artists. Look for them to bear fruit. That's good. 
And bearing fruit is not just giving word acclamation to some God somewhere and quoting scripture every, like wait for fruit to bear in their lives. I mean, you know, even when you look at some rappers who are Christian and walked away, right? You know, they were talking about God in a more explicit way, accepted in the camp um, and then turning away, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, you know, ultimately, when you, and then when you look back, a lot of times you see, okay, was their faith genuine? How do you tell? Like, um, you know, but ultimately, you know, when you walk away from God, it's a, you know, you, your, your faith was not real. Your faith wasn't genuine. Yeah. Yeah. So on a la- on actually the beginning of the song and towards the end of the song, uh, he has his cousin call, um, get leave a voice message, right? So let me just read this uh, to you. This is essentially uh, the voice message that gets left. He says, what up, family? Yeah, it's your cousin call, man, just giving you a call. I know you've been having a lot on your mind lately, and I know you feel like you know people ain't been praying for you, but you have to understand this, man, that we are cursed people. Deuteronomy 28, 28 says, the Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. See, family, that's why you feel like you feel like you got a chip on your shoulder. Until you finally get the memo, you will always feel that way. And at the end of the song, he says, verse two says, you only have I. Uh, she said, verse two says, you only this is God speaking in that verse. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. That's coming from Amos three, two. So until we come back to these commandments, this is him speaking. This is the cousin Carl speaking. So until we come back to these commandments, until you come back to these uh, uh, commandments, we're going to feel this way. We're going to be under this curse because he said he's going to punish us. The so-called blacks, Hispanics, and Native American Indians are the true children of Israel. We are the Israelites, according to the Bible. The children of Israel, he's going to punish us for our iniquities, for our disobedience, because we chose to follow other gods that aren't his son. So the Lord thy God chased, chastened thee. So just like you chasten your own son, he's going to chastise you because he loves you. So that's why we get chastised. That's why we're in the position we're in. Until we come back to these laws, statutes, and commandments and do what the Lord said, these curses are going to be upon us. We're going to be at a lower state in this life that we live here in today called in the United States of America. I love you, son, and I pray for you. God bless you. Shalom. So essentially, made it. His, his, his cousin is saying, um, look, you are a chosen um, people, black people, and the reason why you're going through hell on this earth is because you're not following the commandments, and yeah. we need to come back to the commandments mm-hmm. in order to be... Uh, experience, you know, I guess a more a blissful existence in life. And so Kendrick, I'm assuming because he played this entire uh, voice message, is agreeing with that sentiment, right? And so we have issues with this as Christians, right? This is classic Hebrew Israelite doctrine. Now, for those who may not know what the Hebrew Israelites are, just a brief sort of definition, essentially they believe that blacks and those other oppressed minorities, uh, other oppressed minorities like Latinos, Native Americans, 
are the true descendants of the ancient Israelites. Is that like an essential? Would you say yeah, that's yeah, that's, that covers it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and again, guys, just in a, as an aside, I want to let you know that we are going to treat this in a larger discussion in mm-hmm. a following episode, but we wanted to respond to just what's in the song itself. And so the first thing I wanted to say in response to this is this statement assumes that the reason why blacks are, are suffering the way that they're suffering in America is because they've been disobedient to God. What? And it totally absolves any sort of uh, responsibility on white supremacy, white oppression. Like it totally, it, it, it erases slavery, it erases all of that. It's saying, look, the reason why this happened to you is because you guys were disobedient. It wasn't evil. Slave masters just doing God's will. They were just doing God's will. Like it was just, just it's, it's God's hand of judgment upon it, us. It was it was God's hands of judgment on us. It's our fault. We ain't followed the law. Exactly. If we were following the laws of God, we would not be experiencing the, the oppression that we are pressing today. And that is horrifically like unable to face facts of, of, of history. And it actually supports white supremacy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it it puts black people in a position where it disarms us from the fight for justice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because you're fighting against God now. It, <laughs> right. Essentially it's like if you want to actually experience justice, do better. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what it is. Like you just gotta do better. Yeah. Um it, it's essentially another version of the curse of Ham. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it, like how slave masters essentially argued for the oppression of blacks by saying you guys are the descendants of Ham and God supposedly cursed Ham as he walked in on Noah naked and so now we have the right to enslave you because of this disobedience that your forefather kind of had, right? And essentially what this is saying is because of your disobedience, essentially you deserve to be treated the way you're being deserved. Mm-hmm. Like, how is that not a, like a similar doctrine to the curse of Ham right. being presented here? Mm. You know, it's just a part of me thinks about the existence of, you know, whether it be, you know, five percenters or Hebrew Israelites and just looks back at, you know, Christendom as a whole and, and seeing how the kind of, right, the whitenization, <laughs> right? Right. Um, of of Christianity has has actually um, called for um, people to kind of come up with alternate views of yeah. God and alternate faiths. Why? Because uh, Christianity to them is a white man's religion. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's the religion of the oppressors. And so, um, when nothing could be further from the truth, and so like you know, like Rich said earlier, that they're going to these things to find their affirmation that they're not finding yeah. um, within the church, right? That's right. Um, and so there's a sense of not affirming of the self, um, of of your your race and history, and the issues that plague your culture, and uh, definitely that leads to um, everything that that's going on here. Um, and not only that, but just the sense of brotherhood that you get in, and the sense of family that you would get in these groups that you don't get within the church, you know. Um, and just the sense of like pseudo um, knowledge and pseudo wisdom. You know that uh, is espoused. Yeah, I mean, because essentially, I could see 
a white supremacist sort of kind of almost starting <laughs> almost like agreeing with this such that okay if this creates better negroes that obey the commandments and do good then will you know America will be better and we won't have to worry about you know the uppity negro causing trouble and all that sort of thing and so yeah they should definitely believe this like how does this how does this liberate us right that's the weird thing the weird thing is they're going to these sort of you know especially in the case of the Hebrew Israelite religion to find a sense of self-worth and value but you're playing right into the hands of white supremacy that's right. mm-hmm. So another issue I have with this statement is that it's essentially works-based righteousness. Mm-hmm. That's exactly like, what it is. It, it's saying if you want to be right with God, you just got to com- go back to the commandments, mm-hmm. go back to the laws. God is mad at black people for their disobedience. And so for you to find acceptance to him, you've got to do right. Mm-hmm. right? Essentially, that it, it totally... Um, abolishes the new covenant, the covenant of grace, mm. and it totally forgets about the fact that you know every curse was laid on Jesus on the cross, and through faith, all you have now is spiritual blessings, not curses, right? And eventually, the final curse on the creation will be removed. But we are, even though wasting away outwardly, inwardly being renewed, mm. right? So the blessing is totally taken away from it, and it's simply being replaced with. You got to do better. That's how you get rid of the issues you're dealing with in this life. Workspace. Yeah, and what a trap because we know we can't do it. Yeah. You know, Jesus came because right. we can't do it. And so it's just sad just to watch them. And it's just like, man, what is your solution, man, to do better? And we know that you can't do it without Jesus. That's yeah. Crazy. You know, even as, as we delve deeper into the issues of, of Hebrew Israelites and um you know how not not just like origins but the things that they believe that are actually false even about the bible um you know uh, i know in the next episode we're we're going to be doing that um in a much greater way um and so definitely something you guys want to listen to and, and and keep an eye out for um you know and i have um, also, a story that I will I'll share even uh, I'll share then about an encounter I had with a Hebrew Israelite, um, and really just out of curiosity, you know, asking questions and so what do you think about this and you know taking them to scripture and really just finding out you know what kind of picking their brains about it. Yeah, and it's just so funny how inconsistent. Yeah, you know, you, it can be um, ultimately um, when you are in a search for truth. Um, and you try to leave God out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I'll, I think the last kind of critique that for now, right, that I wanted to kind of respond to is that it essentially is inherently racist, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you say that the only Israelites are blacks, Hispanics, and Native Americans, what you're saying is that ethnically speaking, God only cons- is concerned about um, a certain group of people and not others. Mm-hmm. And it's I, the way I look at it, it replaces, because scripture talks about the true Israelites being those who are in Christ, who through faith have their hearts circumcised mm-hmm. uh, by, by placing their faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And there's a spiritual union that takes place. And so it takes away that spiritual aspect and makes it purely about 
ethno sort of ethnocentric sort of qualities and God essentially only becomes God of the oppressed. It's another liberation theology. God only cares about the oppressed, the people who, actually the, the oppressed in America, to be specific. Right. <laughs> Not even the oppressed across all across the world. God only cares about them. And so the oppressor really kind of has no salvation. Like he's just out there, you know, and we know, of course, God wants to bring all people to repentance. Right. That's right man. God brings the slave master and the slave to repentance. That's that's the crazy thing. So, yeah, man. Um, and so that that to me, if, I, if I'm to characterize this album, I'm saying I think Kendrick is a person who is expressing his lostness, his confusion, his fears, his uh, contradictions as he tries to live a moral life, and then trying to present an answer, but his answer goes horribly wrong. Yeah. His answer is to turn to Hebrew, the Hebrew Israelite religion, um, and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, I think as Christians, man, like as we look to engage in this, uh, as we look to engage culture and participate in culture, we do have to be careful. Uh, I, I I understand how some people might be asking themselves, like. How is it possible that you guys can even enjoy something like this when a worldview like that is being presented? And honestly, that's that's a really good question. Like honestly, I, I, that is a really good question. And for me, I'll, I'll say this: I I'm not comfortable with a Christian who is probably new in their faith and lacks discernment to listen to this album. Right. Absolutely. Like I'm not comfortable. You know, and this is why I always tell Christians like, man, it's so important to know your stuff and know what you believe, yeah. uh, because it's to the point now where you cannot really enjoy so much media without being inundated with something that is essentially anti-Christ. And it's, I mean, it's it, it permeates everything. And so while I'm listening to the music and I'm appreciating the artistry and his ability to rhyme and the, the creative risk he's taking, mm-hmm. and it's such good music, and my heart is grieved that this image bearer, right. Kendrick Lamar, who is mimicking his creator mm-hmm. in the ability to create such good music, but the fall has tainted everything, he doesn't know the true God. Mm-hmm. That breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just a good point. Um, you know, the fact that the excellence that he sh- shows in his craft is him imaging God. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, and yet he uses the the excellence that, that he's received, you know, in his craft um, and uses it to um, really just blaspheme God. Yeah, know? lead people astray mm-hmm. and set up an idol, a false God. And, and that, that's forever going to be the tension in this life. We're going to encounter Because here's the thing. Just because you don't know God, God is not saying, I'm going to take away all your talent and your ability. Mm-hmm. Non-believers are just as talented. Sometimes you wonder if they're more talented than believers <laughs> in the Sometimes. way that they can put things together. And so we're left with the tension of, man, I want to enjoy people reflecting the image of God in the things that they create but burdened by the fact that inevitably it's going to reflect their fallen nature. 
because they don't know the true God. That hurts. So that's it, guys. That is a, another episode down of the City Image Podcast. Like I said, next week we're going to be, well, not next week, but <laughs> next episode. Next episode, <laughs> we're going to be talking about uh, the Hebrew Israelite doctrine in depth. Uh, we, we only touched on it just because we didn't want to leave it kind of out there, the elephant in the room. But we're going to really try to um, show how inconsistent it is and not credible of a worldview it is. And the reason why we're going to do that is because it's so prevalent in the urban context. So um, thanks for listening, guys. As usual, just want to say um, you can you can hear us on iTunes, Google Play. Please subscribe. Please rate. Please share. If you have any questions, reach out to us. City Image Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, The City Image, Instagram, The City Image. Um, and yeah, certainly, guys, begin to interact with us, man, and just share your thoughts. We'd love to respond to you guys. Um, so this is Bryant, the theological giant, signing out. This is Daniel, the creator. Pastor Rich, a.k.a. Young Flapper, saying peace, y'all. All right, guys. Thank you. Mm. God bless. City Image is the best.